On this episode of the Fraternity Sorority Life podcast, Byron Hughes, Director of Fraternity Sorority Life at Virginia Tech University, joins me for a conversation about where and how we spend our time in Fraternity Sorority Life. And I realized that, you know, the key to what we needed to do and to meet where we need to spend our time were these leadership education opportunities, these transformative experiences. In a developmental way of looking at our community's learning and work. When Fraternity Sorority Life realized that it was supposed to be an equipping mechanism, to help people understand who they were as leaders, then it meant that we had to start looking at different things that we were doing in terms of programs and initiatives. Hello, and welcome to the Fraternity Sorority Life podcast. As always, I'm your host, Matt Deeg. For this week's episode, I reached out to Byron at Virginia Tech because I know his office has a unique perspective on measuring chapter success, and he himself has a unique perspective on working with and engaging students. As I've been thinking about how we do this, and I've been thinking about it a lot, a few things have popped up for me. First, we need to know what we're measuring in Fraternity Sorority Life. Any assessment coordinator will tell you that you need to know what you want to measure before you measure it, and the same thing holds true for chapter success. I think oftentimes we cobble together a chapter accreditation process because it's the thing to do. It's the fad. We do this without thinking. But we need to be considering What does my office division, department, care about? What do we believe are the core aspects or outcomes of fraternity sorority life? Before we launch into any form of awards, accreditation, reporting, whatever you want to call it, we need to know what we actually care about. Second, it seems there are several different philosophies around what we do care about. I've reviewed my fair share of campus and national accreditation packets, and what I've seen are three different approaches. One, we use these processes to make chapters do things they should be doing, like hosting risk management sessions, providing community service, doing well academically. You know what I'm talking about. Two, we make chapters essentially brain dump everything they've ever done that semester or year into a binder for us to review. Or the third approach, we focus in on a few specific areas of chapter operations that are important to us, that we care about. Well, you've probably already guessed my bias here, but let me explain further. When we use our accreditation processes as just a set of checkboxes to make chapters do things they ought to be doing, we turn the work of fraternity into a chore. We take away the self-direction and ownership of the experience. Certainly, chapters can be free to complete these boxes as they see fit, but when something is made to be a chore, people will treat it as such. This is when you get chapters only doing what is bare minimum, and I'm sure we can all agree that we want something more. Also, and this might just be me, I don't believe you should get a cookie for doing what you're supposed to do. On the flip side, when we make chapters turn everything in, it's just unwieldy. They know we're probably not going to read it all, and even if we do, what are we going to do with it? This lets us not show them what truly matters for Fraternity Sorority Life. We're not teaching them the essentialism, which Byron and I are going to chat about in our conversation. We're just helping them continue to throw their energy everywhere and be jacks of all trades while masters of none. So my encouragement with all of this is twofold. First, work with your staff and your division to determine what the outcomes of fraternity sorority life are that you care about and want to learn more about or measure. Then, use that conversation to guide any awards or accreditation process. 
I think the chapters will learn to appreciate the purposefulness as well as the personalization it allows for. For more conversation about this, stay tuned for Byron's Thoughts. And now, our guest for the day. Byron Hughes serves as the Director of Attorney Story Life at Virginia Tech University. In his position, he provides overall leadership, strategic planning, and support to the four governing councils, as well as supervision to team members in Fraternity Story Life. I've had the opportunity to work with Byron um, at the Undergraduate Interfraternity Institute and love watching him work with students and other colleagues to lead our fraternity sorority system into the future. He's got a really great perspective on strategic planning as well as leading into standards of excellence, so I'm excited to share that conversation with him today. Hey, Byron, how are you? I'm good, Matt. How are you? Not too bad. End of the week, so looking forward to doing some relaxing this weekend. I know you've got a bunch of work coming up, but I certainly appreciate you taking the time to chat with me today. Sure, no, I appreciate you asking. Wonderful. Well, you know, for everybody on the that's listening to the podcast, they know that I, I like to get the origin story a lot of times first. And, you know, I know that you've got a pretty unique history in terms of how you entered the field and, and work with fraternities and sororities. So do you want to share kind of how you got to where you are? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, I think like most folks coming into student affairs, I did not enter college knowing that this is what I wanted to do. I entered college as a secondary education major with hopes of teaching English and, you know, was on that track to do that throughout most of college until I got my senior year. Um, actually, well, it would have been my real senior year, uh, my fourth year. And woke up one morning in the spring semester. I was supposed to student teach in that the coming semester, and said, "I don't know that I want to do that anymore." And you know, by that point, I'd been involved significantly on campus. You know, the most significant area of involvement that I had was as an RA, and I'd done that for about two years. And I said, "You know, I, I see myself working kind of in that realm." Um, you know, something I did not know about before I got to college. And so that's I made the decision at that point that I was not going to you know go forward with student teaching or go forward with uh, being in a classroom, traditional classroom, and that I would stick around a little bit longer in college to be able to make sure that I could enter into the grad school search on a normal cycle. And so picked up a psychology minor and then, you know, continued to do the work of being an RA and, and being involved on campus, and then I went off to grad school at Ball State University um, out in Muncie, Indiana. And I think that was really impactful for me, you know, coming from Salisbury University, which is a smaller school out on the East Coast, um, out on the Eastern Shore of Maryland. But to be able to go someplace really rich in student affairs uh, in terms of understanding curriculum, understanding what learning is, uh, and then particularly within housing residence life, understanding the role that housing residence life would play in the development and shaping of a student's experience. So those were great, two great years to be out there and to get those, to get that knowledge and understanding and get really a, a good base. And I think the base that I received there was it's about relationships. It's about getting to know students. It's about getting to know them where they are. It's about understanding their development and understanding kind of how that should track with what you're doing and, you know, being intentional specifically about what you're doing, connecting experiences with learning and growth. And so um, after Ball State University, went back to Salisbury. I actually had an opportunity to go back to Salisbury to work in housing residence life and was able to do that for about six years. Um, as area coordinator and then moved into an assistant director role. Again, still doing the same work and really truly uh, was, I enjoyed going back to the place where I know that knew that they were ready to kind of move their program forward and, um, and I had all you know, the skills and the, the qualities and understanding of student development to be able to kind of help move that along. So I had a, a great time there. 
And then, you know, at that point, it was time to start looking elsewhere and to think about what was next. And turned out Virginia Tech was the next spot. And so moved on down to Virginia Tech and actually went into student comics at that point. So I've always had student comics responsibilities in my roles, going all the way back to graduate school as an assistant hall director. So it was kind of a natural transition, kind of a seamless move to go into student conduct and to spend my days, you know, adjudicating cases and did that for about two years uh, until I was asked to co-advise our interfraternity council at Virginia Tech. Um, and that really came about mostly because, you know, at Virginia Tech, we, uh, the student comic office there handles both, you know, student cases as well as organizational cases. And I really did find myself a lot of times as I was meeting with chapters, um, spending a lot of time talking to them about the fraternity experience. So not just talking about the incident, the risk management violation that, that brought them there, but what's the culture of the chapter? You know, how are they connecting what they, what they want their chapter to be with what, what they're actually doing on a day-to-day basis? Um, and I think just having an interest in that particular realm and really wanting to and caring about that experience is what, um, you know, led our director of training for at that time to ask me to come in over and help. And, you know, she was very clear um, as well as our associate vice president at that time, that they weren't asking me to come in and to advise, you know, the interfraternity council as the student conduct assistant director, but to coming in as an advisor, as someone who was a fraternity man, as someone who understood and cared deeply about what the, the, the growing experience should be in fraternity and Tory. And so I enjoyed that year of doing both uh, assistant director and also advising IC, and then eventually moved into fraternity for life full time as an associate director. So. I think what I found throughout the, the time where I was not working professionally in fraternity and life is that, you know, I was naturally drawn towards volunteer opportunities within my own fraternity office in the FI to be a facilitator, to work with our undergraduates, uh, to even serve, you know, go on to serve in an alumni capacity, to be on our board, um, and then also to be part of programming like, you know, the undergraduate and a fraternity institute, as well as programs for other national fraternities and sororities. And I realized that, you know, the key to what we needed to do and, and need, where we need to spend our time were these leadership education opportunities, these transformative experiences. And when I think back across my time in higher education, I think I've enjoyed being in the place where I was, housing residence life, student conduct, and eventually returning to life, because that's where you saw transformation happening. That's where you were able to sit with a student and really, truly help them unpack who they are and really help them think critically just about where do they want to be, who do they want to be, you know, what, what are their strengths, what are, what's, how do they want to apply themselves, what do they care about. And, you know, again, most times that was happening because there was a crisis involved, but it was a great point to be able to facilitate a conversation that could just help them spend, spend their time thinking about themselves at a time also where you could also develop crucial relationships, which has always been important to me to have those relationships with students. So. I think when I look, look across, again, that, that time, the transformative experiences and also relationships, you know, as an RA, I think every RA goes into that role wanting to build relationships, and that was important to me, was to build relationships, not just to be friends with residents, but to be able to meet them where they were, to be able to kind of help them along the way. Yeah, and I think that relational component, you know, when I think about how we work in fraternity, sorority life, we could be a lot of, like, policy pushers, but... 
it doesn't matter if we can't identify with the individuals one-on-one. So, you know, I just started my new role and what I've been doing the last three weeks is just doing getting to know you meetings and just trying to establish that baseline relationship with the students that I'm working with so that we can see one another as humans first rather than, you know, that advisor, administrator, student relationship. Um, So I certainly appreciate kind of your approach in developing those relationships. I'm curious. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. I was going to say, you know, I think, you know, Matt, when I consider that, if we're tasked with going in and helping a person understand what their learning is and understanding who they are, that, that involves you being able to connect with who they are. And you cannot connect with who they are if relationship is not part of what you're trying to do. It's got to be a relationship you have an approach. The whole idea of I'm going to maintain here on my side as professional, you're there as student, and we kind of walk alongside each other. It just, I, I, to me, I've never seen it work before. And, you know, and I think you can maintain a proper balance with students, whereas they see you, they, they see you as a professional and they see you as an administrator, but then they see you as someone that cares. And you don't get to that point unless, you know, relationship has been established between the two of you. Yeah, for sure. I think, you know, as I, as I listen to your story, it sounds, you know, when I went, to, went into grad school, I knew I was like, I'm going to go into fraternity story life. And I don't know, was that ever your master plan? Did you kind of go kind of how things went, like leave your pathway open? You know, a fraternity story life was never, ever, ever <laughs> on the on the path. Um, I think my original path was housing residence life was a, was a great place to start just because uh, it's, it's what I knew. And it's, again, it was a place where I saw growth and, and learning happening. And then, you know, student conduct, I think, kind of felt like a natural draw just because I had those responsibilities. I think ultimately I thought, you know, at that path would kind of lead me towards being a student type work and then on from there, fraternity story life just kind of came up and and so it was never on the, on my path what to do. Um, and I think I've often told people that I think I took the opportunity to do it because it was at Virginia Tech um, and knowing what I know about the culture there and, and what, we, um, what we were doing and what we are still doing, I think, as it relates to just student learning and growth overall as a, as a division in student affairs and as a university, you know, it just, it worked well there. I don't, I don't know that I could say that it would have worked well in place else for me, um, but it worked well there. And so, and I'm glad that I did it and, and glad that I've been able to see it not only at Virginia Tech, but also, you know, at so many different places across the country. Yeah, well, and I just saw yesterday that Virginia Tech was named one of the top 15 places to work in student affairs. So, obviously, yeah. you've, you know, you're, you're in the right spot. Uh, you yeah. know, thinking about your story, uh, how do you think those two roles that you had, working in residence life and then working in conduct, set you up for success in your current role? You know, I think uh, where I see it critically is one, knowing how to ask really good questions, uh, knowing how to, and knowing how to be patient and spend time with folks. Um, residence life and student comments are two areas where you have to have lots and lots of patience. Um, you know, you, you're only going to go as fast, really, you can only go as fast as, as a student is able and willing to be able to go. And so it, you know, it taught me certainly how to ask questions. But then number two, I think it also taught me the need to be very intentional about what we're doing. Um, and and knowing how to focus in on what's most important. And I think obviously that within fraternity and story life is what we spend so much time, so much of our time is spent trying to figure out what is utterly important. And being in conduct and being in residence life, I think, taught me that. The need to, you know, to have a plan, to have a program. Um, you know, in student conduct at Virginia Tech, you know, we 
the, the office at that time when I got there was making this shift away from just thinking about rules and policy and just being, you know, protocol, protocol based to moving into meaning making experiences and using the student conduct office or the invitation to come into student conduct as a result of the violation as an opportunity to sit with the student and help them, you know, think about curiosity and think about courageous leadership and to think about civility and aspects like that. And I think it was just being in those spaces at that time that made me realize that's the same work that we should be doing in fraternity and sorority life. Um, and it shaped me in a way that said, hey, when I go into fraternity and sorority life and I think about my role there, you know, I'm, I'm probably not going to naturally be drawn towards the opportunity experiences where we spend a lot of our time maybe planning events and, you know, making sure that, you know, students are having a good time, you know, in fraternity and sorority life. But I was probably going to be in here towards helping, you know, again, helping students, asking those questions, thinking about learning, thinking about what is critical to helping them really truly understand what they should be doing at fraternity and sorority and how that really does relate back to, you know, the overall, the world itself and what they're doing in college. Um, so I think it just put me in a place being in those two experiences to just really think about ultimately what are we looking for um, and, and how important is the transformative experience. Yeah, and it sounds like, you know, instead of being the event planner, you were really kind of embracing that role as educator, right? How do we, I love the making meaning and helping them to think about the purpose behind the experience. And, you know, I know that that can really lead to better organizational functioning and just vision crafting and all of that instead of, you know, well, what's tomorrow's activity? You're actually looking two to three steps ahead, but then also working with students to keep them moving in that same direction. So, you know, certainly yeah, appreciate you know, that. I remember, you know, going to the gathering and sitting there with Mike McCree when he was making comments about, um, you know, what is our role? But, you know, and, and what does, what's the role of higher education? And, you know, and then how are we typically spending our time with that story life? And how much of that time do we put and gear to put towards event planning and activities? And again, not saying that those, that 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 does not have a role within, you know, the experience. But if that's what we think our job is, then we're missing the mark because we're educators. Uh, and so as educators, we're going a little deeper. You know, we're, we're thinking about how a person is going to be a different person or a better human being as a result of what they're doing. So that's where that's what our goal is. Our goal is better human beings. And so, you know, when, I remember when he said that, you know, it clicked for me. Wow, that's that's how we're supposed to be spending our time. And it turned out that, you know, that was the same messaging and the same framework that, you know, my supervisor, uh, Frank Shushak, was also, you know, advocating and, and really truly setting, you know, for our work and at Virginia Tech. Yeah, and I think, you know, earlier this week I was reading his article from, I think, Perspectives a couple of years ago, maybe five years ago, the, you know, that house, the house is burning and you're mowing the lawn. And yeah. that sounds exactly, you know, like something that he would say, right? We're, we're spending our time in one area when we should be creating environments for learning and working to f- further that um, movement. Absolutely, absolutely. I think, you know, speaking of environments for learning, one of the things that, you know, I remember very vividly is, you know, the summer we spent together in, oh, was the AOPI house. Um, well, the week we spent together in the AOPI house and watching you um, challenge students in really a way that they didn't back down from, but that they really kind of approached and, and embraced. Uh, you know, you've mentioned a little bit about just developing those relationships and meeting them there, but how is it that you've been so successful at, 
you know, challenging students and helping them to make those meanings? Yeah, I think for me, at least, it, it comes from a place of uh, first knowing, making sure, helping them understand what I care most about. Um, so, and I, whether it's, whether it's our time together at UIFI or, you know, I can think back to the number of conduct cases that were adjudicated where I've said, you know, I'm really, I don't really care much about the alcohol beverage policy. That's, that's not why I'm having this conversation with you. I'm having this conversation with you because you've got an opportunity and you've got potential to be better. Um, and so that's what I'm interested in is helping you be better. And so when I think about UIFI and I think about those conversations that are, that are both reflecting challenge and support, it's helping them know that that's what I care most about. And then, again, ask, like I said before, asking good questions, listening to what they have to say, you know, um, hearing what they have to say, uh, expecting them to push back on me as well and to ask me tough questions or let me know when they don't agree with something. And let's just have honest dialogue. Let's have good conversation around what we're talking about here. And ultimately, at the end of it, if you don't agree with me and I don't agree with you, that might be okay. It might be completely okay. You know, because that might happen later on or it may not happen at all, but let's but, but at least devote some time to just giving each other the space to be able to talk and have a conversation. And so I, I think that's part of the reason why I'm successful at doing it. Um, and I, you know, I, I, I kind of cut to the chase a lot of times too, so um, I'm not going to... Um, I'm not going to be overwhelmed by, you know, other factors such as, well, I'm this person or I'm part of this particular chapter or, you know, I, we have alumni who do this or my father or my mother is this person. It, that's not going to overwhelm me and it's not going to matter much to me because I know what my role is and, and my role is your education and your learning. Um, and that's where I'm going to spend my time. So I think it's just being able to have honest conversation with folks. And, you know, whenever I've had these types of discussions, whether it be at UIFI or even back on campus, you know, I, I can see the, 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 the moment at which a student realizes, oh, okay, he's not, he, I can't really see him much BS because he knows, um, you know, and he can, and he can even show me and tell me about experiences that either he's had or he's seen before or been around before. That, know, that makes us know he knows exactly what he's talking about and, and he knows exactly what's going on with me. You know, that he's very perceptive and he's figuring it out, and, but he's also still giving them the space to be kind of their own person and not making assumptions about who they are. So I think that's why it, 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 it works well for me. Um, again, it doesn't work well for every person, and so maybe I'm sure there are students that don't completely appreciate the style and the approach. Um, but I know that many times they may not appreciate it then, but I know some of you down the road, they probably will. Um, I was sitting in a, a panel that we had at one campus a, a couple of weeks ago, and we took, uh, our student college office took a group of students who had previously been suspended, and they did a panel for a bunch of their hearing officers. And the goal of the panel was to kind of help the hearing officers understand that suspension is not a bad thing, that these students will demonstrate how they came back from suspension and how it was actually a good thing for them. And so one of the students on the panel was a student that I had suspended, and, you know, he, he got up and he's, you know, talking about his experiences, and I'm sitting there, and he said, you know, I'll tell you, that, that guy, Byron, he said, I'll tell you, when I first met Byron, when he first made that decision, I hated him. I couldn't stand him. I just thought that he was just the most awful person in the world. He said, but then I realized that it wasn't Byron's fault that I was in this situation. It was my doing. So, and, and what I've come to know, once I realized that and owned that is, is that Byron was making the right decision. 
and and be and what we've been able to do now is have a relationship, you know. So, you know, firing someone that I go to, it's someone that I talk to, it's someone I'm able to have, you know, good, honest conversation with and I kinda of look to it being, you know, a mentor. So, you know, those certain those aspects kinda of let me know that again, just because they may not be showing you in that moment in that space that they get it and that they're ready to make a change. They are hearing what you say, particularly if your approach is coming from a place of, hey, let's I, I, I do desire a relationship here and I desire just the the um I, I hope to have the opportunity to help you kind of make better choices for yourself and to figure out what your potential is. Yeah, it sounds like you're coming from a very strong place of authenticity, right? You spent a good deal of time probably processing and thinking about what your professional philosophy is, your approach in the field. And, you know, I'm curious how, you know, how did you get to that place, right? Like, were there things or experiences that helped you to think about, okay, here's who I want to be as a professional, um, things that maybe other folks could think about who are listening to this as they try to, you know, decipher, well, here's what my own professional philosophy and approach is going to look like. You know, I think I, I figured it out by just watching people and paying attention to folks. And whenever I would see folks, and a lot of these people were folks that were supervisors of mine, when I saw a person that was just really good at what they were doing um, and had strong belief, you know, they, they came from a place of having a very strong belief, um, having a good, a good center in terms of morally kind of who they were and what they wanted from other people. And those are people I started to pay attention to and, and how they approached, you know, their work and how they approached people and their lives and how they made sure that, you know, that there was that um, the professional and personal side of their lives, that they were intersected and it came together as opposed to just kind of dividing them apart and being one way to one place and something different somewhere else. And so just paying attention to those folks and, and really truly, you know, um, listening and hearing and, you know, and receiving feedback, you know, when feedback was given. Um, and just really just taking the time to really think about who you are and who you are, I think, in this role, who you are as an educator, uh, means a whole lot, uh, particularly for the people that you then work with, whether it be colleagues, whether it be students, whether it be families, you know, um, other administrators that, you know, that you might be working alongside on, on, on campus. So just really paying attention to kind of who you are and knowing that it was really important to me to be the same person no matter where I was. So, you know, the, the, the firing that you see on campus is the same firing that my wife Megan sees when we come home. And sometimes you may not like that, but that's the case, you know, it's the, it's the same person no matter no matter what. And so that's always been, you know, important to me in thinking about how I put together, um, put myself together, I think, as a professional um, and as an educator. And, you know, to do this work with students, you know, students want authentic people and people that want to, you know, be vulnerable. And, you know, if a student thinks that you're not, that you're one way with them and that you're completely different with other people, you know, they're, they're, the trust is gone at that point, you know. Um, and we're not, at that point, I'm not practicing what I'm preaching to them in terms of this idea of just be yourself and, and be your best self no matter what. Yeah, it's a very intentional authenticity you've got going on there. And, you know, I think yeah. everybody's I, I, really I, I, working yeah. towards that. Yeah. <laughs> We all are, and, you know, we're not completely, and sometimes that authenticity works well for, you know, us, and sometimes it doesn't work so well for others, you know, um, and meaning the impact it might have on other people. So it's something I still work toward every single day and just got to keep, have to keep pushing at it for sure. 
Yeah, and I think you've also been very, you know, fortunate or, or blessed to be in a place where your authentic self aligns with the institutional mission and values and kind of their approach to um, student interactions and student engagement. So, you know, that's one of those yeah. like fit matters kind of a deal. Absolutely. So one of the things, you know, that I'm also really impressed with, I went to a session a couple of years ago with you on how you redefine chapter success at Virginia Tech and work to establish this thing called the Legacy Report. Um, and it's really pertinent now at Penn State where I am because, you know, we're relooking at our accreditation and what makes a good chapter and all of this stuff. But curious for, you know, for me, but for everybody really, how did the process to really look at this new way of measuring success and progress work, um, how did you get there? Uh, so, you know, I think we firstly had to start at fact, um, at a place of thinking about what is the role, what's the work that's returning to our life, what, what are we called to do, what's our mission, what's our vision, um, you know, what type of office are we? Um, are we an oversight and planning office and, you know, um, managing office, or are we an office that is equipping people. And so when we realized, and this was back in 2009, before I was actually even really friendly in the office, when Returning to Our Life realized that it was supposed to be an equipping mechanism to help people understand who they were as leaders, then it meant that we had to start looking at different things that we were doing in terms of programs and initiatives and how those really truly helped students do that so that there was learning that was happening and everything that our students were doing that we were asking our students to do. And so, you know, before the Legacy Report, we had a standards of excellence program that's very similar to most campuses. Um, and, you know, this was, you know, the annual document that came in, binders of information with checklists of, you know, showing agendas and, you know, programs and flyers, all these things to be able to say, hey, we are, we're, we're doing these things which we consider to make our, which we think means that we're uh, a successful chapter, and that information was then feeding certainly into awards that were being handed out. When we realized that, you know, there was, there was no critical thinking that was happening there, um, and a chapter could turn in a binder and, and do really, really well with that checklist, but you could look at the chapter itself and go, but wait a minute, the, the quality, there's, not, there's a mismatch here, because I'm looking at the chapter, and I'm seeing, you know, folks that don't care that much about themselves, uh, folks that are probably getting in trouble constantly, uh, and other things that made you realize the quality wasn't there. So we flipped it. You know, we said, "Hey, we're gonna we're gonna put put the brakes on a little bit. If we are already if we are already teaching our students to not just crank the wheel and to not just turn things out just for the sake of doing it, then we've got to look at this particular effort here because that's what they were doing is cranking the wheel. They were just simply turning it, turning it over and over and over again to give us a product to, to say, "Hey, we're a good chapter." So we, we had to look first towards a framework, um, and at Virginia Tech, our framework in the Division of Student Affairs um, are our aspirations of student learning. And the aspirations of student learning, you know, follow a, a help of students think about um, their curiosity, their self, you know, self-understanding and integrity, um, civility, great leadership, and ultimately moving into a space of life and service to others, what we call a program at Virginia Tech. And the idea not just being community service, but what I'm getting is for others, and how am I aligning my strengths with the need in society. So when we took those aspirations, we didn't thought about our legacy report, we thought about, okay, what do we then want to know about our chapters? So we still want to know how they're doing the different functional areas of chapters, so 
how they're dealing with recruitment, how they're dealing with member education, how they deal with, you know, goal planning, how they're dealing with risk management, you know, teaching value-based experiences. But let's look at it from the approach of our learning, our aspirations of student learning, and then ask questions that would then have them, have them reflect in a way that they're thinking about where curiosity might show up or where stability, for example, might show up in risk management or where great leadership shows up in member education or, you know, where a prism, uh, you know, a life and service to others or dying they serve is really the, the translation of that, how that shows up in service and philanthropy that gives service and philanthropy a purpose or a cause as opposed to simply hours of money being raised. So we made that switch uh, several years ago. Um, the first time we did it, I think a lot of our students were sitting in a place of don't really know what to do here um, because you're asking us to answer questions in a qualitative manner. We only get to answer, we only get to use 200 words to do it, and we can't give you any documentation. So we said, you know, explicitly, we don't want documentation. There's no binder that should come in. We don't want to see forms and flyers, that sort of thing. And some of our chapters did, you know, still continue to do that because that's the only way that they need to do that because that's the only paradigm that they could embrace. And so, you know, I remember a student also asking, well, if we're not putting our, you know, delivering binders and this isn't going towards awards, what's the point of it? So, <laughs> you know, that was a good, I think, uh, a good measurement of where probably a lot of students were sitting. So we just, what we knew is we had to continue to do it. So we couldn't just give up on it just because students weren't completely getting it at that point. And it only it took a couple of years uh, to get to a place of students recognizing oh, we see the value in this. So after the legacy report got submitted, then whoever the advisor was to that particular council would invite that chapter president in, and they would talk, and they would talk about the legacy report. So knowing that we still had to give our students something quantifiable because that's how their mind works, that they want to see something that says, hey, I got a good score on this. We, we went ahead and scored it anyway. <laughs> but what we said is that this score it's not a score that gets published. It's not a score that we that is going to, you know, that's going to show up as a ranking for how our chapters do. It's just a score for you if you need a number instead of, you know, a, a bunch of words to tell you how things are going. So we did that. Um, it worked really well. We were able to use it as a mechanism for coaching chapters and for establishing relationships. And so it worked really well in terms of kind of flipping the paradigm, at least within our community, that the metric for success is not going to be, you know, hours of service, money raised, um, you know, and, you know, chapter size and whether you do, you know, meetings really, really well. The metric of success is going to be what is the meaningful experience that's happening within your chapter and how are you describing that and how are you talking about that too? <laughs> yeah, you know, a couple of things that I really like about that, you know, you're you're moving from that focus on, you know, the awards and the really extrinsic motivation and, um, you know, possible like recognition on campus to very much a redefined purpose for their existence, right? If the chapters only exist to continue existing, well, then they have no reason to strive for a little higher. And when you said you flipped the switch and then as you started explaining it, you know, my mind went to good old Cynic and him talking about, yeah. you know, moving from, you know, instead of going from the what in, moving from the why out. And, you know, that's really what you shifted to. You shifted to this idea of we're going to help make people better. How are we going to help people learn through our, through their organizational experiences? 
and then you ask them to kind of explain how and, and what they're doing rather than just, you know, give us your, your flyers of, of what you've done. And, right, yeah. And you force them to really be kind of intentional and, and think a little bit broader and deeper about what they're doing. And, you know, to be able to use that to say, okay, well, this is written in your own words, and we're looking at your, your chapter's health. And so, and we're not looking at, so I'm not going to look at, you know, alpha, alpha, alpha through the lens of maybe how Kappa, Kappa, Kappa is doing because, you know, Kappa, Kappa, Kappa has great, great, has a big award and that sort of thing. I'm looking just at your particular chapter and where your chapter sits and not comparing it to others. Um, and so there is no standard by which we say that, you know, for MPHC, that, you know, a gold star chapter sits here. That's not how we're operating. Now, we, did use, we do use this information to be able to then feed into what we later developed, which was basically a community report card. Yeah. Um, and the idea being behind that was, hey, um, we know there's a need to be transparent about our experiences, that we need a way to be able to talk about our chapters, that we're not just interested in just throwing you know, a bunch of information on our website that says, chapter A, these are the awards they've won, this is the number of hours of community service, and these are their sanctions that they've been under. We don't want to do that so much because we don't want that to necessarily be the only story that's being told about a chapter. So let's find a way to be able to talk about how our chapters are doing. And we realized that the only information that we collect is from our legacy report. So we would use how they did on that legacy report and whether we felt that, you know, um, particularly specifically like in the area of recruitment, if they were uh, performing at a, an above average space, then they had that a green light, you know, or you know, a green indicator. If they were just kind of in the middle, just average, it was a yellow. If they were below average, it was going to be a red. And so that would be a, a good way for us to be able to talk about our chapters using the information that they're providing to us and using good information as opposed to just using the, the stuff that they give us just so they can get points um, in an award process. Yeah, and I really like, the other piece I really like is just the ongoing chapter meetings and conversations because it gives you, you know, it gives anybody a snapshot of here's how the chapter was last year, but then also it allows for you to work with leadership to plan to help them get better in certain areas, right? So if they know, you know, hey, we were struggling in this, you can work with them to create plans and put things in place so they can be better in any of those different areas. So. Uh, the opportunity for growth there is really great. It is, and you know, it was it was, it's, it was great to see at, at different times where you know. Um, so for our interstate council and our talent council, this the way our calendar flows through like the report, our conversations were with new presidents, and for our national talent council and our United Council of Attorneys and Authorities, those conversations were with you know presidents that had already been in the position for a semester. So it was interesting to see for IFC and Panhellenic that, you know, when we were having a conversation with the incoming chapter presidents who did not fill out the legacy report, that one of the first things that they would say to us after they had a chance to read what the former president wrote and read what the value of the feedback that we offered, they would say, hey, can I resubmit this? Like, can I, like, is it okay if I resubmit? Because I had a very different perspective on how we should be doing things now, and I can look back at what they were saying, how we were doing things, and realize that's not really what, you know, I, how I want our chat to be represented. So it was great because there a lot of things in the dialogue of, well, we're not going to change the legacy report that was submitted, but let's talk about what you want to do. You know, let's talk about the legacy that you want to leave, you know, come November, December, when you're transitioning out of your position. That's really cool, and it helps them to think about, 
you know, everything that they want to accomplish. And they're both looking forward as well as at the end they get to reflect back. And, you know, we know that that's one of the things that helps students to make meaning of their experiences, right, is just yeah. looking back and over what they did. Yeah, it just it seems like a fantastic not just organizational development tool, but individual student leadership development tool as well. Yeah, absolutely, for sure. Well, moving kind of outside the Virginia Tech area, um, you know, curious what you've been doing this for for a little while. Um, you know, what keeps you going in our professional world? Like, what what makes you like think I get to go into work today and and be really excited to go in? Well, you know, it, it continues to be our students, and it continues to be. Uh, Seeing you know how you can pick up the things that they do, whether they're doing well or not doing well, and you can pick that up as an opportunity for them to just you know go out there and want to do something different, and that's what you know brings me into the office each day, going you know no matter what's sitting there and waiting that you know what it, it can be a good day because people genuinely people genuinely want to be better, uh, they just need a little help getting there, and you know and they and they need and it's okay for it to be a little bit messy and it's okay for there not to be clear answers about what what should be next and so it's just our students it's, a, it's looking at them and seeing them kind of work through those problems you know and so whether it's happening at tech or it's happening at spaces like UIFI or if it's happening at you know PyCap College or any of the other experiences that I get to work with like you're just seeing the same thing from experience to experience people want more and they they want they want and they want to do it with people you know so they desire to be in a relationship with people that really want the things that they want and the things that will kind of help them kind of be better. So that's what brings me in every single day. That's what keeps me going. That's what lets me kind of sit in the, the, the junkie stuff and realize that there's going to be a way forward and that it's not, you know, we don't have to do well and the stuff is not going so well. Um, you know, so it's looking for those bright spots that exist, I think, in our community and in fraternity and authority. And when you can have, when you can have those types of conversations with students, where they say, you know, the, the narrative that we've had about fraternity and sorority just doesn't work right now, you know. So we need to change it. And that's when you go, yes, <laughs> we do. We do need to change it. You're on to something. You know, you're getting it. And what you're getting even more so is that fraternity and sorority is just simply a vehicle towards something greater and something bigger. So, you know, fraternity and sorority is very important to your experience, our experience, and to what we do. But the, the, what, what it's for is something bigger than that, and that's when you know, we're making the connection back to, you know, aspects like ritual, that that's what ritual is. Ritual is about something more and really, truly pushing forward kind of who we are and the people that we can be. So that's what gets me excited, knowing that there are people, particularly students out there, who want that. Um, and whether they decide to stay in higher education and or, you know, serve as a volunteer within fraternity and story life in some aspect, if they just want to go out and be in some other profession, that they're going to those professions and they're thinking, okay, how do I make this better? Um, you know, and more importantly, you know, how do I use what I'm good at doing to, to, to make it so? Yeah, it sounds like, you know, circling all the way back to what you said at the beginning about developing those relationships and, and really working with students in that way, it sounds like you use those relationships too to maximize potential, both for students and for organizations, and then hope that they take that same thing that they've learned and use it to maximize wherever they're going to be next. Yeah, mm-hmm. and you know, and some of that is driven by you know uh, our 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 curriculum for what we do here at, um, on campus. 
whether it be in our office or across campus in different places, is uh, a strength state building you know framework. And so we are a Gallup campus, and we spend a lot of time with students, colleagues, all folks here here on campus talking about strengths. And so that helps me when I think about, all right, well, when I'm walking into spaces with students or organizations, fraternity, forties, whatever organization, that I'm, I'm helping them think about, okay, what are you good at doing? All right, well, how do we make that happen more? How do we do more of that? And what would happen if you only spent time doing the things that you were good at doing or spent time doing things that had purpose and meaning because then look how much, you know, life and your experience would grow. You know, think how much you hate having to deal with the stuff that you don't want to deal with or the stuff that just isn't, are just crappy. Well, most of that, be, that happens because we are, you know, working out of our deficits and, you know, not necessarily playing into what we're going to be doing. So it's great when you can, you know, walk in with people and, you know, have those collisions with folks where all of a sudden they're thinking about what they're good at and they're thinking about how they make, how they make more of that in, in their lives. Yeah. No, I really like that. And, um, using using students and, and the positive things, right? It's the whole appreciative inquiry thing and helping them to really look beyond just, yeah, instead of deficits, looking at where do we excel and what do we do. And I think that's a more positive approach that we can always use more of in our world. Oh, absolutely. Thinking about kind of maybe that positive approach, um, you know, if you were given endless resources to work in, in fraternity story life, right? So, you know, time, money, talent, whatever you want to consider a resource, what would you start with um, to help improve it even further? Yeah, Matt, I think I would start with leadership development, leadership education. Um, you know, if, if I had endless resources, you know, to have every single student, um, you know, in fraternity and sorority, have a, a five-day or a six-day transformative experience that we might find at, you know, the UI five leadership programs, all the, you know, the programs that are based on that, to be able to send them into those spaces and, you know, to do it, and they wouldn't have to pay for it, you know, and it would just be paid for, and they would just be able to go there and have nothing that would, you know, inhibit them from being there, no barriers to them being able to be present or be engaged in that experience, because I really do feel that if, if we were able to do that, to think about how how that would grow the experience tremendously in a very short period of time. You know, if you are, if you're just sitting on a campus, of, you know, if you're sitting on a campus where you've got a thousand students that are in fraternity and sorority life, if tomorrow you could take 500 of those students and put them into a leadership edu- education experience that transforms them in significant ways, your community would, would push forward tremendously in a very short period of time because they're awakening themselves to. What, what is what is great, what's important, what their purpose is, what the purpose of attorney sorority, sorority is, you know, what, what effect we should be having on our campuses. So that's where I would develop my resources is, is leadership education, equipping people, you know, in powerful ways that powerful experiences that mean something and, you know, stick with them for, you know, the rest of their lives, you know, in the various places that they might go and, and be in. Yeah, and I think the you know, the leadership education piece, I know what we do a lot of times with like UIFIO leadership, it starts with very much focusing on us, you know, students as individuals and, you know, who they are and what they're good at and what they care about and really encouraging that reflection. And we don't, there's not as much time to do that in our world today. And so giving them that week to really reflect and turn inward, but then also turn outward and think about how do my actions and things impact the world around me you know, that's kind of the, 
the role that we pl- can play with the, all this leadership education. I can totally see that making a huge difference as they interact with one another, even if they never, you know, take one of those titular leadership spots. They're still mm-hmm. taking everything that they've gotten and using it just in their daily interactions with individuals. And we right. don't get to do that enough. Um, so I'm, I'm totally with you. Let's, let's just start pulling all the money together to do that. But, yeah, well, I'll take our budget here. You take their budget. We'll just go spend as many as we can do that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, so, you know, a few things to just really close out our, our conversation. You know, um, I like to ask just a couple random or personal questions and one is kind of a selfish one for me because I like to read a lot and I like to get book suggestions from people and um, you know what have you read in the past year um, that you think everybody should read hmm. well I think it's something you've already read which is great because when you <laughs> when I saw your posting on Instagram I said yes he's reading it that means other people will too um, Essentialism, I think, by Greg McCallum oh, is yeah. a book that um, is, I mean, it, it's so practical, uh, and the idea that, you know, what you do matters and how you spend your time matters, and, you know, what would happen if you devoted your time and energy to one or two things that you care most about um, and are most meaningful as opposed to spreading yourself across 15 different things. Um, I just think it has so much um it can, it can make an impact for us as educators within the training and story life about thinking about, you know, how our time is spent and, you know, what are we able to have control over and what are we not able to have control over and the ability to be able to say, hey, you know, uh, a clear yes um, is, is the only yes that there is. If it's not a clear yes, then it's a no. I mean, that's, that's, pretty, that's pretty important because we, you know, we are in positions where we have to spend a lot of time on campus, where we're spending a lot of time after hours on weekends and, usually certainly not taking care of self as much as we can. So in the in that world where you've got a lot that you have to do and a lot of people who rely on you and need you, how do you figure out what, what are yeses and what are no's? And so I think that's been really helpful for me and helpful for my team at Virginia Tech in thinking about, you know, our work and our time and, and our energy and, and how it's spent. And, you know, I think if everyone could read that, it would be amazing. Uh, but I think it really has been something that's just, you know, it, they were concepts that I knew before reading it, but it was just, it was really awesome just to be able to see them on paper, to see the diagrams that Greg, you know, draws or the lines that he's drawing and the squiggly lines and the, you know, perfectly <laughs> shaped lines and, and showing kind of how it all comes together. Just really, really cool. Um, and something that, you know, we are using with our students and, um, and they're reading and they're picking up on it so quickly, especially because they live in a, in a time where, you know, they think that, you know, being busy is, is what they need to be and it's how they prove their worth. Um, and to be able for them to pause and go, but that doesn't really say anything. It just shows that I'm just stressed out and I'm tired and, you know, I'm not getting things done the way that I want to. So uh, I think it's been, it's been amazing for us to be able to use. And, um, you know, I, I love being able to talk to people about that, that idea of essentialism. And it reflects your your level of intentionality, right? That's been kind of a theme that I felt running through kind of all of your comments is just a very purposeful intentionality around the things that you do, the way you develop relationships, your entire approach. And yeah, it, it is a book that I've read. I actually read it every year and have started using it with, with students to actually use it to define their organizational like purposes, right? So 
you know, instead of just saying, oh, we're going to take on any service opportunity that comes our way or give money to anybody that asks, well, no, let's define what are those areas that we are really focusing in on as an organization? What are the things that are going to take our time and our money and our talent so that we're not pulled in 500 different directions, but that we can just put it all forward into one specific area? I think, you know, the things that we do with our staff in that area, we can also use with with students. And so I've been starting to do that with like council leadership during retreats saying, okay, instead of doing goal setting, let's do theme setting. And what are those focal points for the year rather than, you know, we're going to accomplish these 15 things. And I, I found that it kind of gives a little bit more more purpose. And it goes back to that intentionality piece, right? And there's so much dragging on our attention right now. I love that intentionality. And and we as educators can figure that out. We're modeling, I think, a lifestyle for our students that, you know, that they're paying attention to. So, you know, they're paying attention to us and being in the office, you know, 12 hours a day. Again, I'm not saying that we should be in the office 12 hours a day because we've got work to do and you know, some of us are sitting on campuses where there's one of you and, you know, we have a strange choice community and others are sitting on campuses where there might be five. But our students are still paying attention nonetheless to our lifestyle and our approach. And if we are figuring that out as educators of understanding what that means in our own work, then it's going to help so much more for those students to start adapting that lifestyle and, and valuing that as a way to be able to approach, you know, their work. Yeah, and we're also helping them set up their own habits for, for once they graduate, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I know you're you know you're out actually doing some work for your for your national fraternity, and so I'm I'm curious um, as you think about kind of the work that you're doing with them. What is over the time that you've been a member your favorite fraternity memory? Hmm, wow. You know, I, I think my my favorite memory was probably getting into the position I'm in now, with an Simplify being our board. Um, and I, I moved on to the board, I think, back in 2010. And I think it, why it's fun for me is because it's not a place that I would thought that I was going to be. And, you know, I think at the time that I was asked to do it, I thought, okay, well, there are other people that have been Alpha State for a whole lot longer than I have that probably have a whole lot more knowledge about how we operate as a fraternity and the people and, uh, you know, the politics and everything else that goes along. But, you know, going through that process of interviewing with our undergraduates and ultimately being selected by them to serve in this position, it was just amazing for me and great for me to say, hey, well, they are trusting in me that, you know, I'm going to go off and do, you know, the work that's necessary to be able to help, you know, provide strategic direction to the attorney. And so that was just, that was the best, I think, memory that I've had being, you know, kind of in this organization. Um, not so much for the, the accolades that come along with being in the position, but to realize what, you know, ownership I get to have for how we progress and move forward, you know, as a fraternity. Um, and when that position does allow me then to be able to meet more and more members within our fraternity because they recognize you because they see you stand up on stage and, you know, say something or, uh, you know, conduct a ceremony. Um, and for them then, to, for that to be a pathway into getting to know more people and building more relationships and then being able to see people in different spaces, you know, outside of Alpha Center Fires, you know, to see them in places like an AFLB or at a UIFI. I mean, that's, that's what I think I, I, I carry with me the most um, and will probably always carry with me the most is being kind of the, that, the, the fondest memory for me of being a fraternity. 
That's wonderful. Well, Byron, I want to thank you for thinking that this was worth saying yes to um, and for sharing your thoughts and insights with us and with all the different listeners. So um, appreciate all your time and, and wish you all the best out in California and then back at Virginia Tech. Well, thanks, Matt. I appreciate you asking, and you know, I certainly love being part of dialogue and conversation about what we do. So thanks for leading this initiative and for putting your time and effort into it. So that's our episode for the week. As always, if you have comments, questions, or an idea for another podcast episode, tweet at me, at Matt D, or leave a comment on iTunes or on the blog. I look forward to sharing more conversation and possibility with you on the next episode. Until then, stay curious.